series called This Is Us. Uh, if you are a television viewer, you have probably spent time on a Tuesday night crying over this show. Anybody with me? Who, who's watched this so far? So I'm not alone in this. I, I, my wife has stopped watching the show. She said, life is sad enough. I don't need to cry every Tuesday night. So, but I'm, I'm a sucker. So I, I keep watching on Hulu or, or whatever. And as you watch the show, you see the ins and outs of how this family interacts with one another and what it means for this family to do family things. You, you see them uh, define who this family is and it's very unconventional and then you look and you watch and you see them gather and you are always wondering because they live on different sides of the country what's going to happen when they come together and whenever they come together there seem to be moments that are explosive and as with any family that comes together uh, even right now in this room I would imagine that about 50% of us are looking forward to Thanksgiving and 50% of us are thinking is there any way that I can abandon ship on this thing so that's just kind of how it is we gather together and then you look and see how the children grow, how the family grows, how they grow together. Now, this week, we as a church family are talking about what it means for us as a body of believers to grow together. And what does it mean? What, what picture does Scripture paint for us in regards to growth? The sermon title for today is Growing Pains. You may have spent some time watching that in the 80s slash 90s or on some various streaming device. It's the story of the Seaver family. The primary character in the show is named Mike Seaver, played by Kirk Cameron of Left Behind fame. And Kirk Cameron's character, everything centered around him and you watched as he grew up. When scripture talks about growth, what does it say? When we as a church talk about growth, what are we considering? What are we evaluating point by point and principle by principle in regards to what it means for the people who gather together, not simply in this room, but the representations of this gathering that meet together in life groups through the week. What does it mean for us to grow? When we talk about growth, what conversation are we having? It's a really popular topic among churches, the idea of growth. And for lots of churches, when they talk about growth, they're talking about outward growth. Do, do we, are we considering outward growth when that word comes up for us? When, when we talk about growth, many people like to talk about what it means to be deeper in your relationship with Jesus. The idea of growing toward the Lord. Is that what we're considering when we talk about growth? When we talk about growth, lots of us are talking about what it means for a family of believers to grow together. Is that what we're talking about? And is that what scripture is talking about when it talks about growth? And I believe that as you look through the scriptures, you see elements of each present. So let's just look together in John chapter 15 as we see a very... A well-known growth passage. We look and we hear from Jesus. John chapter 15. He says, I am the, vine, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will, so that you will love one another. If you're unfamiliar with grace, we uh, follow the type of church government called, we have elder leadership. And elder leadership means that you have a group of people that is made up of your staff as well as um, as well as various other men who are called lay elders. And we get together every Monday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning before I'm a really good Christian. And we have conversations about what it means for us to move forward as a faith family. What are the things that God is teaching us? What are the things that God is calling us to? What would scripture say to us about growth? About what it means for us to grow in every one of these ways that we've evaluated? And as we meet every week, we, we always spend a portion of our time walking through the scriptures. And we have just finished seven weeks where we walked through and we looked at the I am statements of Jesus. And as you look at the I am statements of Jesus, you see that Jesus is taking you on a journey as he points to things that are around him. So when Jesus says that, uh, that he is the bread of life, that is found in John chapter 6, he's just fed 5,000 men, 20,000 people, and there is a reference right there. This is what bread is. That I am what that is about. When, when Jesus, uh, in John chapter 8 and chapter 9, he says that he's the light of the world. There are two instances. He just made a, he has just pointed at a festival to a pillar of fire. And he's saying to the Jewish people who celebrate God guiding them in the exodus with fire. That was actually pointing to me. In John chapter 9, he says, I'm the light of the world again. And when he says, I'm the light of the world, he's just taking a man who could not see and he'd given him sight. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses two shepherding illustrations. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Now in a sheep herding community, which we don't live in, 
Jesus is pointing out the fact that he guides his sheep and to protect them, there will be times where he has to build a pen with twigs and sticks and hubba bubba. And when he builds this pen, he allows the sheep to go inside, but he doesn't build a gate because he is that door. Because he protects the sheep. John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection because he's just gone to a funeral and one of the ladies that he's close to says to him, Jesus, I know that the resurrection of my brother will be on the last day. And Jesus says to her, ma'am, I don't just give him life. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Because he's talking to men who seem to have lost their way. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he's using a mile marker here. He's pointing to something that they know. He's pointing to something that they are familiar with. If we were in New York City, we would say that a mile marker was the Empire State Building. If we were to go to Boston, Massachusetts, we would say that Fenway Park is a mile marker. In Angleton, it's Stephen F. Austin and that big, huge statue. In Lake Jackson, we get the mile marker of the welcome to the Emerald City. We have mile markers, things that people look to. When Jesus says he's divine, he's not just referencing something that's growing in the wilderness. If you were to walk by various places, you would know in, in Jerusalem, you would notice that there were things that were attached to their faith, things attached to their story. As Jesus walks and says these things to the disciples, they walk by the Garden of Gethsemane and they would pass a temple and over the entrance of the temple... There was a vine that was carved out of gold. It had branches the size of a person and grape clusters were made of jewels. It was placed there by King Herod. And rich Jews every year, because their identity was in their Jewishness, would add to that vine and add to the grape clusters. The vine for the Jewish people was symbolic of their national identity in the way that the bald eagle is a sign of our national identity. And when Jesus walks by the vine, he's saying to a group of people that have found their identity in their Jewishness, real life comes from me. He flips the illustration that they've had on its head. This is the Jewish symbol for bearing fruit. And Jesus goes into a conversation where he says, actual fruit comes from me. Actual growth takes place because of me. In 2017... In southeast Texas, church culture is prominent. There are churches all around us. And if we are not careful, we can find our identity and our understanding of growth in being attached to one of those churches. For most of you, that means you're attached to this church. 
It, it could also mean that you're attached to a certain understanding of what it means to be part of the Christian faith. But Jesus here is saying, I am the true vine, my father is the vine branch, is the vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Jesus actually says, life is not found in these things, it's found in me and who I am. So when we begin to talk about what it means for us to grow as a church, as we talked about in regards to gathering last week, we grow because we are attached to Jesus. Your growth and my growth will not take place because I have everything under control, because I have certain answers to various questions. My growth will happen because of who Jesus is and how I have made the decision in his providence to abide in him. So you look at this text from Jesus and you begin to see that he's talking to us about growth. And when you notice the growth that he's discussing, it gets painful. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Then it may bear more fruit. So we're talking about upward growth and this upward growth, you and me growing towards Jesus and growing towards the Lord. This is a painful concept. The pain that we go through, the struggles, the suffering, they are, a, they are part of God's providential plan for us. The branches that are doing well that Jesus talks to, they seem to get a knife. I, I've had conversations with lots of you since I've been here. I've tried to have lunches and, and coffees. I don't even drink coffee. I just go, get, just tell them, give me something weird. Fruity, something that tastes like fruit, not coffee. And when I do this, I've learned lots of your stories and about how God has shaped you and he's made you more like himself. And the recurring theme that I hear from those stories is we went through something really hard and God used it. That's not an outlier. That's actually what the Bible seems to be teaching regularly. The branches that are doing well, they get the knife. So here's what you see. Psalm 1, 19, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I may learn the decrees of the Lord. James says to us in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God prunes us regularly to keep us from becoming a tangled mess. So for us to grow upward and toward him... There are going to be difficult things that we walk through. Already, verse 3, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide. So what's this word mean for us to abide? What's it mean for us to look and see and hear that we are to be 
abiding in the Lord because it's not a very popular conversational word. I would imagine, I would venture to say in a room of this size that none of you use the word abide this week. What are you doing? Well, we're going to eat dinner at the Mexican restaurant El Toro because it's our favorite. What about you? Well, we're going to make sure that we go to Target because that's what you have to do on a regular basis here, go to Target. What about you? Oh, my wife and I are just going to abide together. No one said that. Is it the idea of just resting on a couch? Abide, to abide in Jesus means that we have a life-giving connection. Jesus has a very high view of Jesus. Abide in me or you will not bear fruit. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Everybody together? Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but the, he, the Greek meaning for nothing is nothing. We do nothing apart from Jesus. Whoever finds their life-giving connection from me will bear fruit. Well, what is bearing fruit? As we grow upward towards the Lord, what fruit will we bear? Well, I'm glad that you asked, or I'm glad that I asked for you, because Paul comes alongside of us in the book of Galatians. Lots of people think that Jesus and Paul don't get along. They do. But when you look into the book of Galatians, he talks about fruit. And we read together some of the fruit that we should bear as we abide in Jesus earlier. Let me go over those with you just so that you'll hear me read this rather than just quote it. The fruits of the Spirit, not a Granny Smith apple as the kids like to say. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if I'm abiding in Jesus, this means more than the fact that I know things about Jesus. You are not growing deep in Jesus if your whole relationship with him is, what can I know? I would even go as far to say, if you are able to give me lots of information about Jesus and you're a terrible father or a really bad husband or you're a terrible neighbor then growth is not happening for you. Because when we lean into Jesus, as we grow toward him, as the vine seeks after the light, because though I am no horticulturalist, that's what I kind of get from my reading, the vine grows towards the light. As we grow towards the light, these things should be present. So if we're asking about fruits of the Spirit, and we say that one of the fruits of the Spirit is that you and that me, as those who follow Jesus, are loving. Are you loving? If a fruit of the Spirit is joy, that I should have a deep, resonating presence of the Lord in me because of Jesus, are you joyful? 
if we're saying that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, if we're abiding in Jesus and being pruned and cut by Jesus, that, that means that we're going to be more peaceful. Are you more peaceful today than you were two months ago? If we're abiding in the Spirit and we're talking about patience, if that's one of the things that comes into the life of a believer, are you growing in your patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Now, I'm no Bible scholar. But it seems to me that these fruits that we are told that we will bear should be present in some capacity in our lives. That we're growing in, in holiness. That means that we're made more and more like Jesus. Look, I, I don't like to paint broad pictures, but I will go as far to say this. If there's no desire for, for these things in us, then we should really question whether or not we're a Christian. If we're not seeing the presence of these things from time to time, glimmers, not perfect, but, but moving in a direction. Jesus is very clear to us that as we grow towards the Father, there is pain that comes with it. Growth is painful. Growth is painful for children. It's painful for adults. It's, it's painful for all of us. Verse 5. Again, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, life-giving connection, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This doesn't mean that we are immobilized. It just means that the things of eternal value may not be happening if we're not abiding in Jesus. Verse 6. If anyone abides in me, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers because it's dead. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, find your life-giving connection from me and my words, those are the words of Jesus. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we read that Jesus is talking about his words, which means that he's evidently a big fan of what he's been saying. Now Jesus said some really important things. He's gone through the Sermon on the Mount at this point. And we've talked about those beatitudes side of that Galatians passage. Jesus at this point has talked to them about loving the Lord their God with their heart, soul, and mind. And loving their neighbor as their self. These words of Jesus that he says matter. They're supposed to matter to us. That Jesus says things like that he will eventually say that we're to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is very clear with these words. He has a high view of his words because his words are what gives us directive as believers. So we lean into the words of Jesus because those words help us line up with the life of Jesus. If you abide in me and, you, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. Now, we've got to be careful with this because this could turn into Harry Potter stuff, right? This isn't a curse. This isn't us saying that we want, that when we pray in the name of Jesus, that he'll just do exactly what we say. John Calvin even says this, when he promises to grant whatever we wish, he does not permit an undisciplined asking. Where we see that? Abide. Asking things in light of the life-giving connection we have from Jesus. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love, my life-giving connection. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Growth comes from a source and that source helps us to move towards the light. Are we growing towards God because of what we have seen and heard and had revealed to us in Jesus? When we do, we see that there's another type of growth that seems to happen. He begins to talk about the idea of abiding in his love. And then from verse, in verse 12, he talks about how that love doesn't just affect the way that we move towards the Lord. It affects the way that we move towards one another. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I've loved you. But what about when I don't like people? What about when their children are terrors? What about when they don't do things the way that we would do them? What about if their house is cleaner or dirtier than mine? What about, and we have all of these things that are causal, that are not part of what Jesus says here. So what we have are circumstances that if we are not careful have become excuses. Greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus says, as we grow together, there will be the idea that because of Jesus, we will be willing to lay our lives down for one another. The idea of growth in regards of the way that we grow inwardly or as a family, there is a presence here that there will be times when we don't like what other people say or we don't like the way that people do things that we choose to do them and we choose to do them a different way. But if we are going to be people who really, truly take Jesus at his word, that we will love one another. Because Jesus has moved us from servants. And I believe that's kind of what happens when you're initially part of a church family. You come in and if there's any type of background, if there's any type of faith, there is service there. We want to serve together. But Jesus moves us beyond that to the idea of people who are family. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. As we grow together, 
this familial concept of friends. Not people who just work together for a common goal, but who delight in that common goal. Who hold that common goal above all things. This will be prevalent for us. We'll grow inwardly. Look, I, I, I'd be foolish to think that there are people in this room that you don't have issues with. But if there are things that you have that are differences, that's no big deal. However, if those differences that you have are causing hate or bitterness or impatience, they are affecting the way that you grow. Not just as a family, but as we grow towards the Lord. And I believe that scripture is very clear to us that those should be gotten rid of, removed, abolished, terminated. That we would grow in that way. Not allowing things to be present that don't need to be present. We actually see Jesus keep talking and you see him talk about what happens when fruit bears fruit. Verse 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The biblical word for chose means chose. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. That your fruit should provide a life-giving connection. So whatever you ask in my name, I may give it to you. Jesus here is talking about what happens when love, patience, joy, gentleness, compassion, self-control. When those things are present, how will that affect other people? How will that affect those who are not part of this faith family? How will that affect people who are not part of Christianity? And we talk about what it means for us to grow as a church and what it means for us to be part of a church. There are lots of ways that churches grow. Some of them are unnatural and are unfit. There are churches that grow because of music styles or because they have a various model or because they have a pastor who looks like a model. There are lots of reasons that churches grow. And those aren't always the best. But for us, as we look at growth and we look at what, what is natural, we see that as we are part of this community, as God brings people here and they hear the message of Jesus, they unite with us because of that if they're believers. And we would pray for that. But more so, more so, we would pray that the fruit that we bear as believers, as you are present in this community for the sake of Jesus, as your neighbors and as the people that work with you see you and converse with you that they will see in places that do not always seem to be compassionate you still are in places that do not seem to be patient you choose to be and on and on and on and that because of that we would have conversation after conversation where the gospel of Jesus goes forward that there is life in Jesus and there is no life outside of him. And that we can literally explain to people. We believe that Jesus changes lives. Because he's changed mine. Because he's changed yours. Because Jesus has called us to be things that I am not going to be on my own. But what about when those things are hard? 
What about when growth and, and spiritual growth aren't taking place in a way where people come into rooms like this and we just see this multiplication after multiplication. What, what about when the growth doesn't seem to be uh, just overwhelming? Is growth still there when it's difficult? I have a group of pastors that I meet with regularly and we uh, it, it's accountability but it's also a training time for, for guys and, and one of my first interactions with Jared and Josh Dawes our student pastor was at one of these conferences but when that conference started years ago there was one man named Ray who would come and he would talk to us and, and Ray he just has an incredible story he has a story about God's faithfulness and he is a growing believer who has a ministry to those around him. But it doesn't look like what most church growth strategists would call growth. I want you to watch this video. My life as a, as a child is very dysfunctional. I had my first taste of alcohol and my first sex with a girl at the age of 12. And my life then started escalating the wrong way. I was getting in different jails and different trouble. Uh, my dad would come in on weekends from construction jobs in a normal way of being drunk and very abusive to my mom. So I decided that I would just leave this country here join the military and get away from my home and I wound up in Southeast Asia in Vietnam out of our first <clears throat> nine months there we were attacked 138 times and out of the 138 times when we lost about half of our battalion and that's when I got injured air backed out Came home, got discharged out of the Naval Hospital, married the prettiest woman in the world. And we went to Texas and we started a life as I was a heavy equipment operator. slid down the corner and I sat on the floor. Couldn't believe it. I went off the deep end for about five years. I tried to hold down a job, but I couldn't. I stayed drugged up, alcohol, in jail. And it got so bad in my drugs of mainlining and shooting up, cocaine, heroin, whatever I could get my hands on. And my wife said, Ray, there's one of three places you're going to wind up to be. I said, where's that? She says, you're going to wind up either in prison, the insane asylum, or the grave, if you don't do something. But I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in June of 1975. Now, come on, go 
I said, okay, where are we going? He said, come on, I'll show you. He's been showing me every day. I had made one, uh, one, one trip to Africa, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the people. And the missionary I was working with, we became close friends. Uh, man, look here, here's my wife and here's me. We're up now, age for Social Security. And I put all the monies down we'd be getting and he looked at it and added up and he said, hey, you could live pretty decent. And uh, I said, that's it, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna move to Africa, come home and share it with my wife and she gets excited. And, I noticed they're uh, starting to take uh, a different road in her health. And it was at that time when they diagnosed her with the the Parkinson's as is, is bad as it was that she needed what they called a DBS, a deep brain stimulus surgery. So that put the halt on me in the African ministry. God knows what he's doing. become the uh, police and uh, fire chaplain here at home. My position as chaplain in the fire department is very rewarding. Men turn to me for a lot of things, and I'm not even a firefighter. I'm too old. And I'm not too old to tell them about Jesus or to help them through their marital situation, to help them with their uh, problem with their drinking. And some of them even still doing drugs. So the chaplaincy fits right in with me because of my past life. Has it been easy? Nope. Has it been fun? Nope. I'm home here taking care of my wife now. I love it. Stay-at-home husband. Learning to cook. Bought my own mop bucket. My own mop, vacuum cleaner. And I'm learning things every day. My wife's a beautiful lady. Wonderful wife. Wonderful mother. Wonderful grandmother. Wonderful great-grandmother. And I thank God that I'm saved. That I'm born again. That I'm in the center of His will. wake up every morning looking at the ceiling and thanking God for this day. Now, Father, what would you have for me to do? That's all I say. Every day is a day spent with Him is a day well worth spending. Growth doesn't always look the same for every one of us, but growth is us spending time with Jesus and that moving us towards Him. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. In every way, I would pray that we as a church would be bearing fruit in our personal lives, in our relationships with one another. And we're in a relationship with those who are outside of the church. Because I think it's true. Every day that we spend with Jesus is a day we're spending. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing. If you need me, I'll be to the left-hand side of the room. My left-hand side. Jesus, you're good to us. I uh, pray that 
as a body. Um, we'll see what it means to know you. And that the knowledge of you will affect who we are and what we do. And God, though we may not be moving in the direction that we think that we should always move, we trust that you have not let go of us, that you, you're pruning. And I pray that in the midst of that, we respond by abiding. Because there's a life-giving connection that you've offered us, and I pray that we see that that doesn't just extend in one direction, but in multiple, up, in, and out. We would grow together because of that, because of the source that is Jesus. We ask it in his name.